for those. You know what I had? I was, I was looping, like, looping I was, back to last week. I was falling asleep yesterday, and I said to Joe, "I was like, wait a second. All of those guys, all of the male, most of the male nudes in museums aren't circumcised." So and, true. I always forget that's and, like a massive thing here. Yeah, it's a huge thing here, right? But like, Oof. no, right? And I was like saying that to Joe, and he was like, "I mean, yeah." Like, and I, he was like, "Because we were like just sort of falling asleep, we were listening to a book and like a mystery novel that is very light that takes place in France about mm-hmm. cheese." So there was no reason. But I was trying to think of like, like what one of the things I think is funny is that for male nudity, I've never had anybody say that to me, and I've taught a million male nudes, hmm. but they must be. I mean, I'm not looking at that part, so like, I don't care that much, but. Someone's so got to like, be looking. Somebody has to be. Anyway, all right, let's do this. <laughs> okay. Maybe so that's going to be the little joke I cut in. Welcome to the Artless Podcast, where we make art accessible. I'm Seema. And I'm Sophie. So today, I thought, what art did I see this week? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that I would start with something people tagged me in. Mm. Um, I get I've started getting tagged a lot um, in images, but I got tagged like a million times in this artwork by Tobias Bradford, who turns oh, really? out to be somebody who I didn't even know. Um, yeah, he's a um, he's an artist who's born in Sweden but lives in London and does automatons that look like humans. And his interest is making the mundane interesting. And so it was just like a robot that was torso down that was shaving its legs. I did see and that one. I, I did see that one. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because I was, so I held on to it for a while. Like I didn't reshare it because mm-hmm. I was like, didn't know what I wanted to say. Um, and I was planning on doing something about like depilatory or maybe like, um, you know, Robert Gober mm-hmm. um, about like when humans decide to make things that are kind of like uncanny valley sort of human but weird yep but I ended up just just quoting the artist because you know I was realizing one of the things that's so hard about those when people see art contemporary art on TikTok (laughs) is that they're almost always struck by the weirdness Mm -hmm. but not the meaning I was about to say it's always like automaton robot like it has to really lean into that idea of kind of um I don't like how could you expand on like the word contemporary where it also it's kind of like futurism I guess in some ways yeah. that really goes off oh god it's a yeah weird but it's app. also humanism but it's also yeah. like humanism like there's a weird like it's like humanism weird as trying to understand. robots yes it's weird because yes. can't help weird. myself right yeah, the excavator doing like the really human style thing, and then this robot I get tagged like, and itself. can't help yeah, myself videos all the time. I bet you do. God, that's a really weird consistency to start uncovering. Now I'm going to see it everywhere. I'm going to see it everywhere. It's very weird, and it's funny because like I also have the sad feel. I have a sadness in my heart, um, and that the videos that I like, hist- so videos either that my hair looks good or I like mm-hmm. don't do well. <laughs> That's always my kids the way, always though. say my kids always say like oh your hair looks busted that video will do well um but um there was a video I had done about a work that I find really interesting by Hugh Locke at the uh Tate Britain um mm-hmm. about sugar because the Tate him- Mr. Tate himself was a sugar baron mm, and that's right. the sugar basically I mean sugar like the thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have died historically for the production of sugar. Yeah. And so it's a really powerful work, but it didn't get nearly as many views as on, on my channel or like in the world mm. on TikTok as that one by Tobias Bradford, which I find fascinating. This is something that I've kind of, um, it's kind of frustrated me my entire social media life, right? Not so much Tumblr, but that I don't know if that's social media. Uh, I suppose it is. But from like the Instagram era, I always kind of noticed that people love meaningless shit. Like they love stupid shit. They don't want to think hard when they're on social media. They don't want to be engaging in really intense 
kind of discourse, or apparently they do on TikTok. I don't know, but not even fucking good discourse. Like, come on, guys. I always noticed that, you know, the intense work, unless it was some of my absolute best photography, like, like, you know, the stuff that like got me into Parsons work, which is mm-hmm. maybe like five photos out of 300. <laughs> this old, very few, but unless it was those, people just didn't want to engage in what I was thinking about, what I was talking about, what I cared about. They wanted pretty flowers. And that always sold more too. People love flowers. Oh. And the woman who taught me the process, Ellie Young, shout out, she's still kicking it, doing it down south in Australia. Um, she was like, yeah, no, people love flowers, always sell flowers, but that's it. You know, it makes me think, um, I'm very sad about the death of Twitter because the only time that I've actually had social interaction, um, on deep thoughts is Twitter because Twitter allowed subcultures to communicate together in public. Yeah. Black Twitter. And so, yeah, like, so mostly I, and I always was really surprised that, um, because I would, I basically used to talk to other people I knew in real life who worked in museums and museums Mm -hmm. are a really incestuous group of people. So if you hit, yeah, weird. Um, And so if you've hit a certain level, you pretty much know, like, I don't know, I would say that I've met 40% of the current museum field. Um, and I've only, I mean, I think I, I would, I would guess that between like the public lectures I've given and, you know, like mm-hmm. I, because we annual conferences, I help mm-hmm. run a lot of the annual conferences, totally. I guess, I yeah. guess that, I mean, I think it'll decrease quite considerably as I get out of the field, but within, you know, at the time that I left. This so, is a great time to be making a podcast then. Yeah, maybe, but, um, <laughs> but. I why think why you still have access and then just kind of like ease out and maybe. have all of the opinions that you've always had just be like oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um but um but on tiktok like you know you would talk to people or sorry on twitter you talk to people and then other people would hear you yeah, yeah. you know and i think that's important yeah. which is like on tiktok i think what's interesting is tiktok is strangely insular mm-hmm Right? It shouldn't be because it's broadcast. You can create like a is. false reality so easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. actually kind of scary in some ways, but kind of cool. I don't know. It is. It is. So to change the subject, what was some art that you saw this week? Um, oh my God. Actually, there's something I do really want to show you, but some art I saw this week is all the art I was in a group exhibition with at Tiger Strikes Asteroid in Brooklyn in New York. Um, and there was... I'm just I'm just gonna like open my little folder and read out the artists. There's Sandra Erbacher, who was actually a studio visiting artist uh, while I was at school. She's amazing. Jasmine Risk, Lisa Kill, and Edie Dye. And then there's also nice. Daniel Johnson, the curator, and Molly Davy, the other curator. Cool. Um, but the reason I want to talk to you about this is because the curator Molly did something I have never seen before which was she hand drew but I think this I've never seen anyone do this before and I think it makes artwork like because it was all abstraction oh she hand drew the gallery guide she hand drew the gallery guide she hand drew everyone's artworks yeah and she did this rendition that's awesome well I think that like I don't know I've never seen anyone do it before it's kind of like a bridge between kind of and then she did another one kind of with the interview and then another little nice. more detailed rendition. Nice, nice. I have done it and seen yeah. it, but pretty rarely. Yeah. I would say for a gallery, I think it's amazing. I've done it. Um, you know who's done it really great and also combined it with uh, Mind Map is the Welcome Museum in Ooh, nice. London. Nice. But it is rare, right? Because it I don't think I've ever seen it in Australia. Leave. Oh, yeah. Um I think I heard that it happened once. No, maybe not. No, it's a lie. I haven't heard that. I haven't. I was gonna say at the powerhouse, but no, they did something else. They did powerhouse. They did something else. They did something similar. They didn't hand draw it, but they did like a kind of like guided looking situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, they used because I do think the hand drawing brings it to the human. That's awesome. There's something. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta talk to Seawell," because there was just this moment. 
this is going to be where I bring all my art thoughts. Um, that's kind of the point, I guess. But there was something about kind of, I don't know, bridging, bridging a perceptive interpretive gap between kind of what the art was and how it would be perceived. And I don't know if it's like necessarily a good thing to do that, but I kind of like it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, people. Well, it's like allowing the idea that there's an intercessor. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, yeah. like to me that the, the thing, and, you know, we'll talk more about like, how do you get in, how do you start, like, how do you even start thinking about art, which is what the topic is today. Good segue. But, um, <laughs> but so, that so problem is, but the problem I think is that we have created a culture where uh, art is a secret language mm. and we're not letting you in. And she's saying, it's not a secret language. Look, yeah. I'm going to exactly show you. And I do think even in interpretation in museums, which is what they call the people who are writing those kinds of things, mm-hmm. that um, that they often still make it seem like a special person interpreted this. Like I, mm. my one of my, I hate the phrase interpretation. Me too. Uh, because I think like it's such a stupid phrase and museum people love it because like mm. they live in their own little world but it sounds like you need an interpreter right but the other thing I loved about it was that she didn't she didn't write bios for us she asked us questions and had us answer them it made space for both sides of the conversation really beautifully um and I just thought it was super effective I started doing that for shows where I was like, what do you want me to write about? Who are you? Yeah. What right, do you want to say? Right. Because like, it's not me. I did it for a show where I did yeah. questions and it was really nice um, because it changed the relationship. I think curators mm. have way too much power. <laughs> so this also implies that she's decreasing her power. She's also showing who she, she's like opening herself up to, right? Mm-hmm. By drawing it. That's mm-hmm. like a... That's like, she's like, listen, I'm even going to draw this. Right? Because like people judge drawing. Do they ever? My Lord, that's like my internet niche. Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting thing to do as a curator because you're also kind of like showing how you perceive the work and the space and how it all goes together in like a really kind of non-abstract way. <laughs> well, the other thing she's doing is accepting that we all come in at a different level. Totally, totally. Um, but also I, it's the kind of thing, like, I don't know if it's the choice that she would have made for a realism show. Cause it's, it was, it was an abstraction uh, show, you know? Uh, so, mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, I do think like, so I've worked a lot on Dutch still lives, for example. Yep. And one of my biggest problems, this is one of those like TikTok fact checks that are mm-hmm. false. Um, like, uh, so I mean, I've worked a lot. Yeah, exactly. I've worked (laughs) a lot on Dutch art. Like, you know, I've spent time with Rembrandt all by myself. So I do have some knowledge. Rembrandt wasn't a big still life painter, mind you, but like, I have some some actual knowledge from great lighting. I have some actual knowledge from active artworks. And I have a lot of people who come and tell me that all Dutch still lives are vanitas, you know, like, um, life is fleeting. And I'm always like, no, they're not. But no, but like it's because they learned it once and they have this little fact, right? So I do think actually realism, it would be nice to do almost the opposite of what she just did. So she made abstraction mm. more real. Yeah. And it'd be realism interesting more to figure abstract. out. Hell yeah. Yes, that's right. Like it would be so interesting. And I do think in that way you would have to use text. Yes. So she is putting drawing. Oh do you want to do that with me? Do you want to do That'd that? Be so cool, do you want right? to curate like, a show and do that? It would be so I love, and I I do love the idea of making people realize realism isn't like all that real. Anti curator, right? <laughs> I know. I'd love that. I'd love that. Do you want to? I'd I mean, I'm getting vigilante, I like... vigilante, anti curators. I mean, I should be putting things out into the world. People will be like, be "What cool. the fuck?" Especially, especially some of my our art project. Our art project is that we hate you, curator. <laughs> so it's just it's just so fucking fun. Well, like, you know, not all curators. I mean, okay, so I no. think this is one of the things that we should, like, make a distinction about because I don't want to confuse some people who aren't, like, super in the art world. Yes, we have, like, true. critiques of curators and people like that who are kind of in that hermetically sealed, inaccessible, very racist, very warmongering kind yeah. of art world space. And then there's like the second tier, which is like, you know, Molly Davy and Daniel Johnson, who I was just talking about, which is like artists themselves who are out yeah. kind of practicing yeah. and, you know, contextualizing yeah. work. Um, 
It's still, even in the first year, it's a minority. It is the my. I actually think it is the minority. It's a very though loud I minority, that. though. Oh, it's a very loud minority. Some curator that I know in real life um, was really slammed in a TikTok that hasn't gotten, I mean, it got views, but like, it's not like going viral. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it'll become a big deal. Mm. Um, who knows? But somebody tagged me in it. And they were like, mm-hmm. are you going to do a video about the show? And I was saying, like, I had actually emailed them to say, like, can you give me images? Because I'll do a, I'll do a video. I want to know what I'm looking because it had had this yeah. is like the second TikTok about this show. And I won't say what media or field or anything because I don't want to out this person. But this mm-hmm. is somebody I know like super in real life, like had dinners. We worked yeah, together yeah, yeah. like they, you know, sent me a gift when my babies were born or one of my babies. And um, so I um, send them an email. No reply. So I was like, all right, I guess like we don't know each other anymore. And then um then I've seen these and somebody was somebody to ask me like what should I do and I was like I don't know what you should do because like they won't reply and they don't want to change and they're not a bad human being like yeah. some of these curators are honestly like just horrible human beings but that's a vast minority <laughs> I it mean, is the like, vast minority the that's, majority and that's the same as them, any field and workplace that's right that's right that's um, right it's not like curators are only the only og- ones that have a couple ogres no but it's but it's like kind of the entertainment industry in a way right where yes. like the people with the most money and the, like the loudest yes. voices and opinions kind of like suck the fucking air out of the room that's the truth um, that is the truth <laughs> but the majority though i will say that there is the the huge chunk of it if we're talking about a bell curve are like this person that i was who's yeah. been getting a couple of negative videos this person really believes they are in the right because mm. they spend a lot of time with other curators who tell them they are right and collectors <laughs> who tell them they are right. Uh-oh. And so they believe that by not um, opening up their discourse to what the era, the era we're in and staying basically 10 years behind on colonialism and race oh, and gender, that they would, they're okay because they're in the right. And so the thing I have found is that it's really the minority of curators who are willing to maintain a, like a sense of what is happening in contemporary discourse. Really? No, really. And it's it's really funny that like you see it in art school, you see people un- like we had to push the majority of our professors to have a conversation about colonialism, race, anything during because we were getting our degrees during the height of Black Lives Matter here. And it was really, really intense in an institution that was kind of burying its head in the sand in some ways. And like, we we went into a meeting with the Dean and we were just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you supporting students? You know, you have no resources and they just kind of, there's, a, and I, you know, this is why I keep saying it, but I'm going to get Gene on an interview because he talks about this all the time, right? He's one of the, <laughs> you're smiling at me because I say it like every episode, but because he, we, we talk about this all the time, right? Because he works as an educator, has for a long time. He also works in business and he always says that like he's working in schools and spaces where people are unwilling to shift the way that they educate to how people are learning and to what they want to learn about. And like people always come to him and go, wow, you've got such good results. Like your students really listen to you. Like you don't have anyone who like, you know, rebels in class. He's like, yeah, cause I listen and I treat them like people. And like, I, I understand that like we as educators have to shift and change what we are focusing on and how we're doing it. Cause that's just how education works or should work. So. But you know, I think it reminds me of my of the TikTok drama that I'm going to bring talk about this week. Oh. I think that one of the things that is a problem and the reason that they don't do it mm-hmm. is because it implicates themselves, mm. and they do not no, want true. this. And that's why, like, you know, when you decide that the colonial that colonialism is basically the source of curatorial work, then you become the agent of a, the colonial powers, mm-hmm. even as colonialism ideally has changed into imperialism and you know uh economic imperialism and so like you're basically like two systems behind you know yeah. and um that's why they don't want to hear it 
And it, I mean, it is a little bit like when we talked, you know, last time about like the male gaze and how you still wear makeup, right? Like we still live in the society, right? Totally, or you still totally. do whatever. You still yeah, make yeah. your choices within the system, even if the system exists. Yeah. Nothing is with, nothing is not socially determined. Yeah. That's right. The curators just don't want to admit the system exists mm-hmm. because then they lose their special powers. Mm. I don't like this. Speaking of I don't, TikTok I don't drama. like this ride. I want to get off. <laughs> well, let's get off. Let's get off to like where people hate me, uh, which is another theme of our episode. Of our oh. episodes. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, um, but I do understand where they're coming from because until I was on TikTok, I, when, before I was on TikTok, my roles in museums always meant that I had time with people, right? So I started mm-hmm. out as a gallery teacher and I talked to people and mm-hmm. I worked in community engagement for my whole career, which is the word that museums use for trying to bring in new visitors. <laughs> and it's often, it's often new underserved visitors, as they like to say, or as they've moved into the community, which is code for the poor people of their city. Um, Mm. and, uh, so I've always felt like, you know, like I've been to, I've been to church services around Cleveland. I have worked with students in rec centers. I had a van. I drove to like the like neighborhood, the home days for all the, um, all the precincts of Cleveland. I've been to, you know, council meetings and block parties. And I really thought I had a good sense of just, just people right mm-hmm. um I was sure I was but what I was doing was only going to places in Cleveland and Cleveland is very while segregated it is a majority minority city as they say I think that mm-hmm. it's, it's largely black and then when it's not black it's Latinx so like and then then the pockets that aren't those are um Eastern Europeans so like mm-hmm. they're what they're ethnically white but they speak you you can walk into a service that's in Hungarian or Polish mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, Slovenian or whatever. So I was with other people who largely represented things that I already was like. Yeah. You know, so I was, I'm, I'm the kid of immigrants. So I had thought I understood our country, uh, my country, but turns out I didn't. And TikTok really shows me that. It shows me every day mm-hmm. that I had no idea that I was self-segregating myself. Not and so my really. TikTok drama, like my TikTok drama was um, that I did a video and like I videos come to me like lightning. I swear. I just I am like, tell. oh, I like that topic. Yeah. Let's just talk about that today. Like yeah. I'm not like I have no despite working with um, for years on content strategy. I got no strategy here. And so um, it works for you, though, because that's the nature I of guess. the app. You know, I guess you're I guess. feeding off it's, of what it offers. So that's right. That's what I'm doing. Though it is a little bit like the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Like <laughs> I'm not doing strategy here. But I did a video that I just love. Um, I love the art that comes out of Japan that mm-hmm. Japanese artists make once they um, see Westerners because the Westerners start coming, you know, like mm-hmm. 1500s, late 1500s. And it just, it enlivens a really interesting kind of artistic endeavor in art. And so I love that stuff. And so there was- Yeah. When I, when I did the first version of this podcast, uh, Art to Art, many years ago with my friend Lou, the first episode I did was about linear perspective. And we kind of spoke about this cultural exchange between, um, you know, Western art as it made its way to Japan and then also people in Japan who discovered this kind of use of linear perspective. And it was like, because there was such an adoption of, you know, Japanese art into the West, it's so rarely talked about or discussed that people who, you know, were engaging in a completely different form of perspective, which is foreground down the bottom and background up the top rather than this kind of sense of depth. It doesn't mean it was inaccessible to them right no no like, it's not like they they chose those things and like exactly i gotta say what fun, what's funny to me is when you look at kids drawings mm-hmm. they are telling you a story with their artwork and so they mm-hmm. often put things like where the story needs it yes so you totally. understand why like you would have this perspective that is really story driven right yeah. like it's about this idea. it's cinematic i think it a is lot of Jap- no it Japanese is Japanese art is cinematic yeah. you know you know what i yeah, think yeah. it is what? photographic Ooh. <laughs> but I think everything's photographic. That's right. I'm biased. What do you think about it? It's like a sense if of... If you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> Shh, yes. 
but everything comes through optics so I, I, yeah come on can't blame no, me absolutely <laughs> no absolutely that's it's it's also maybe it doesn't just because it's just because it's true doesn't like you know what is it just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you so <laughs> <laughs> I'm really pulling out the expressions of this episode. No, but, I like it. I um, like it. Sorry, um, I completely but... derailed you. No, 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 you didn't. But I think so, like, it was underlying, and there usually is, like, an underlying message. Even if my video has a topic, it's, like, an underlying message. And I was thinking about how we see uh, the West as getting, like, steal, taking all these resources and ideas from people. And then, mm -hmm. but I was saying, you know, like, the Japanese also are taking ideas. So I said that Japanese people were just fascinated by Westerners and how like they babied their dogs, which is true. It's like, I'm not, it's not like, I don't, I very rarely come up with like, you know, in, like mm -hmm. independent research for my channel. And, um, <laughs> and so Sorry, I that is just that. so funny to me. I don't know I mean, why. Like, who's doing that? Who's independent doing research? That? I'm like, that's what I do. <laughs> I know. Not me. Not me. Um, art historians are, I mean, I did once, but not Couldn't now. be me. So, I'll hop and skip between other academic texts and make content and be on my way. Wish I, wish that right. could be me. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, Such but, a good formula. You're so smart. I don't know. But um, so what I did not, what I've truly underestimated was almost every part of that video. So I underestimated that people understood. I didn't say anything about Japan's isolation. Mm -hmm. I really didn't talk about, uh, I was going to, and I don't know if I ended up doing a video. I can't remember if I ended up doing a video or not, but I was going to talk about Deshima, which is the man-made island uh, that the Japanese forced the Europeans to stay in. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't talk about that. I didn't talk about the Tokugawa shogunate, who was like, 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 I mean, they were like, they had the country locked down. The rules were crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really talk about any of the context. So in that way, it's my fault, that part, because I really underestimate people's knowledge. And in a way that I should have known that those are like not things we would be learning, right? And I mm -hmm. even taught like high school students. I get that. But what I also underestimated, which, you know, like, come on, is how anti-Asian TikTok is. They hate us. And oh, so see, I, no, from that moment on, for like, yeah. I don't know, 10 days, were fielding all these anti-Asian hate comments. And it was it was like centered around this like xenophobia and that Chinese people eat dogs. But it was like very, you know, like, and a lot of things that like, there was a lot of segments to this, right? Like first mm -hmm. Chinese people eat dogs and we hate them. Then there was a general Asian people eat dogs and we hate them. Mm. And, but then there was also an interesting part that always pisses me off um, with like upper middle-class Indian Americans who are like, but we're not Asian. I was like, I'm pretty sure that like South Asian has Asia in it. Like, what are we, an island? Like we're connected to Asia, fools. <laughs> That's... I, and I was like, did not know that that was so in the kind states. Of, well, I mean, it makes sense. People love proximity to whiteness everywhere. Exactly. And in the states, we don't. We used to, when I was growing up, I wouldn't have called myself Asian. Mm -hmm. We didn't call ourselves Asian. We called ourselves Indian. Even if you were like Sri Lankan, they called you Indian. Yeah. But, it's kind of, but it makes me think about people in Australia, right? How we're in the middle of the Asia Pacific and everyone's like, oh, we're in the West. I'm like, my brother in Christ. <laughs> you are closer <laughs> You're to China. Far from, You're pretty yeah. fucking You're pretty far, far from the West. <laughs> It's gonna take a lot of boats oh but my like God. yeah so for me the tiktok drama that i i guess i want to bring up one is it was like it was interesting because it really made me realize i guess i never knew and i would say to people like on lives i just don't spend a lot of time with people who hate me because why would i go there no i know right but i never knew the level of hate asians people have for asians i was like so dude sorry. It's amazing. I think that's the one of the really thing... scary things about this app is when it hurdles yeah. people into these really violent spaces is just kind of what it unveils mm -hmm. to, not systemically, but it, I mean, it unveils something systemic to an individual in like a dog pile situation. And that's really mm -hmm. fucked up. Um, I'm just, I'm really sorry. Um, filtering that is... I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine it's going to be rough. Yeah, I, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, the one thing that 
The other thing I learned, and the reason I wanted to use this topic for our like kind of like art history 101 episode mm -hmm. is because it reminds me, it really made me think about a couple things. One, that people hate me. And <laughs> I'm kidding. People people really can't look past other people's faces. They just Fuck can't. No. Like, you know, you just can't. And um, it must be nice being face blind, like that Chrissy, it must that be Australian kind of. woman. Yeah, She's, yeah. Who yeah. looks like Aunt Petunia. Fuck, I love her. She's so bonkers. And it must be in some level. Uh, yeah. But um, but I also think that it shows how little like arts education people have because really the topic was, I mean, the topic wasn't anything to do with dog, uh, with um, Asians. It was actually about dogs, right? And it wasn't even like about, like, it wasn't even like, and there wasn't like, like there was nothing. And then I realized, and I think this is where like I am truly... Uh, sad because most art historians do not get a tiktok account right totally. and when they do they only do what they've always done mm -hmm. and so they don't get enough engagement that they get down to the dirty folks yeah. <laughs> the mean folks um or the truly interested folks I know. right and like I, they That's don't get either so of those loved. groups <laughs> well, yes um but I'm i think hated, that for I me God. equal equal yeah. like i it's funny like it is funny that like um, I've I've learned I've seen a lot of the corners of this world now and um, and I think that I wish more art historians understood because mm -hmm. then our work are those labels those curators they would get like you gotta start really you gotta start really back like way back there yeah no you really do right um, so I have a question and this may be a very broad question um, but. Why do you think there is like a love of Japan and there's this kind of sense of real adoration for that part of Asia? And why is China viewed so differently? Like I have my own kind of theories and understanding of this kind of stuff. I have been thinking about it. Well, I think one, it's labor. Yeah. A lot of stuff is made in China. So it's kind of like the West's backyard and dump site, right? recycling and everything like the recycling industry was also in China and this idea of kind of just being able to like dump labor and also waste just in this one entire kind of space but then like how can there be such a disparity in kind of viewing cultures I think um you know I was going to do a video somebody asked me a question but I didn't end up doing it mm -hmm. <laughs> I get a lot of questions I don't get that many questions and I do that. No, no, no. I don't, it makes it sound like I was like, I'm, I'm not like turning it down. I'm not turning it down. I pulled the slides. It's almost like the death knell for a video. If I pull the slides and don't make the video immediately, it means I'm never doing it. No, totally. <laughs> um, but um, somebody wanted, so like, um, I was doing a video about kakimono wear and arita wear, mm -hmm. which are Japanese export um ceramics and somebody said but like i collect those like early 20th century japanese ceramics and it is true that actually japan was the producer of our cheap crap before mm -hmm. china mm -hmm. um right you know like and uh because they had cheap this... crap but like most of our stuff oh yeah 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 but i think the cheap crap is part of why people look down on people totally right? like totally. they're the production of our cheap crap so yeah. uh japan was and it didn't have the cachet but i think that the reason that japan has a different position in our minds mm -hmm. is actually about aesthetics mm. this is i've thought a lot about this because i knew you would have <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> but i was just but i i because i did a video I don't know. I again never know where these come from, but I was looking at um somebody's somebody's house, like like Catherine the Great's house or something. Mm. And I was thinking like what are what other interiors were around this time and so I did a video which of these houses would you live in? I remember and, that. That was cool. And a lot a lot a lot of people said that they wanted to live in one of the like aristocrats in Japan's house. And I was thinking about it because I do love Japanese aesthetics mm -hmm. and I had been a homestay student in Japan and I do like we had always really loved Japan. But I think it's partly because Japan's aesthetics dovetails to what we perceive as wealth aesthetics mm. in the 20th and 21st centuries because we were moving away from Victoriana and like excess mm -hmm. 
which is what like the Chenlong emperors like you know that's like if you think about the palaces of China they're mm-hmm. closer to like a, a, like a Vic- I can see why Victorians thought China was real fancy totally because it is the counterpart to them yeah no totally but Japan totally. is the counterpart to our like mid-century modern mm. and it also was the source for it right so like it seems the same as us. it seems like it seems like an uh, acquirable mm. beauty right it's totally. the same reason that we think like scandy design is beautiful right totally. like that we so i think that's partly why i also think that um that i do think that I've always thought this. I used to um, host uh, Chinese foreign exchange students, both from the Shanghai Foreign Language School and then also from Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to work with a lot of artists who are both Chinese, uh, Chinese like artists from China, but then also artists who are from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I think that mainland China, a lot of the like norms are so drastically different culturally than us. Mm. And so versus Japanese norms that while, you know, while there's certainly more stay than American norms, they're a little bit closer to our norms, to our communication norms. Mm-hmm. And so like when we got Ukiyo-e prints, they still were partying in a way that we understood a party. Yeah. They were um, writing poetry in the way we understood a poet poem. Mm-hmm. Whereas China, I think it just was so foreign. Yeah, Totally right no really the, and it's like and again why can't we coming back to that idea of access right 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 <laughs> which then i think goes to where we can probably move on to our, our deep thoughts segment mm. i think that what you and i are having is a conversation that a lot of people can't have yeah because I, I, I we have, have enough knowledge to get that <laughs> i know right i think like a lot of people would like to access this conversation i agree but you and i just talked about like I have all those pictures in my head, right? And I have all that knowledge in my head, but it didn't start, like I wasn't born with it. I read mm. a lot. I went to a lot of sites. I've traveled a lot. I was thinking, um, I was thinking, cause I, I did read that email, um, the mm. the request email. And I was thinking like, how, how do I like acquire my knowledge of history? And I really had to think about it. So how did you? I'm like a crow. <laughs> Like I don't, I don't sit down and read like an historical text. That's not, that's not my thing. I learn through methodology. Like I'll find something I'm interested in, like my old photographic process, and I'll learn everything around that process. I worked for uh, an antique clothing and homewares trader. I learn about history through kind of through objects and materiality, and I learn everything around them. God, I really am like a crow. Uh, <laughs> I would so for me it was never really <clears throat> it was never really about like a particular time period even though I do have like a weird Victorian obsession like when I was a kid I was obsessed with playing the harp I'm so bougie I played the harp as a child um so I don't know I have some like weird 19th century kind of vibes about me and always have but I've always just kind of like picked and sourced and found things through kind of lateral I would say access points um never just kind of through sitting down and writing an essay because that's that's boring what about you Seema no I'm trying to think of what you're saying I think so you just said to me I'm like listening and like thinking back I think what you're saying is that your interest drove your topics Mm, mm, right it's that you couldn't it isn't that you started at one place yeah and like but it wasn't that you started in one place like you didn't start like one day I'm gonna do prehistoric art and then go all the way down through time mm-mm, mm-mm. I learned about photography and then I learned about the camera obscura and then I went all the way back to optics and astronomy <laughs> and then I learned like how it influenced linear perspective and then I learned how it influenced like the Dutch golden age and that's where I learned about the world's first economic bubble because of you know tulip mania and then from there, you know, I just, it kind of, it spirals out into all these kind of different sections and circles. And, um, and I would say the, the basis point is always my, my main interest and that's probably photography. Um, and luckily it's a very broad subject that covers basically everything <laughs> in the world. 
That's see, that's what I, I think. It, this is the thing I think people don't understand is that you don't have to have every bit of scaffolding to mm -mm. have these little bits of information. Mm -mm. But I do think that's that the scaffolding is important because the scaffolding allow if you don't have enough um, wherewithal, you know, like either like like willingness to be wrong or to learn something and not get it then a scaffolding does help. I would say like a thing for me is I thought I was thinking about this same question and I think that um, everything is easier when you don't know that you, it's going to be hard. So when really? I was a kid, I grew up, I was born across the street from the Cleveland Museum of Art and I didn't know because Cleveland is such a small city and it's kind of a small town mm -hmm. that um, I just assumed everybody grew up like going to the art museum. I don't remember my first visit going to the museum. Mm -hmm. I assumed every city had a Van Gogh. I don't know, right? Everybody has a Rembrandt, right? right? Like, Everyone has you culture. Know, um, I didn't grow up in a place like that. So I think that for me, one of the things that's really hard as an educator or somebody mm -hmm. who's communicating about art is that I come to this with that unrealistic sense of what people have as access, totally. right? That like, the vast majority of people in the world don't have a Van Gogh in their town. Mm. Um, you know, that that to me, I think, is part of what's the problem, that the people who are drawn to talk about art are people who already had access to art. Mm -hmm. And so we are in the wrong position in some ways because we already knew, we already had this intellectual scaffolding. Mm. Um, you know, that like, um, that that makes it hard. And I would say like, as I, if I was thinking of somebody who was like super new and wanted scaffolding, I still wouldn't pick a book because mm -hmm. I think that like, the problem is, and I've been thinking a lot about this and maybe there's a book out there that I'd like have missed, but there's books that do a lot of topics. Like one of my favorite books um, is The Mirror of the Artist which deals with Renaissance Northern Europe. And it does it in a way that is, um, that combines like socioeconomic, you know, situations and all of this stuff together. And I think that that's a really great book or a book mm. like, um, but then, or like those Fiden books like Michelangelo or, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or like, I think Ross King does really good job like Judgment of Paris, but they're all like a section, right? They're taking a moment in art. Mm -hmm. And there's no book that like, I think that I've read that I can think of that talks about like the wide long history of art. No. Because it's so no. many things, right? And the only it, ones that are like those art history 101 be. textbooks. Yeah, yes, and it right. kind of has to be interest-based learning, you know? Right. And right, I think right. that that's why most places and schools that do focus on interest-based learning do it through creative practice because they kind mm -hmm. of go hand in hand right because mm -hmm. to be human is to be creative mm -hmm. so yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't really say i have a starting point either i would say figure out what you like doing what interests you what excites you what challenges mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and go from there um so the other thing I would say is start, if you need a starting place, something like the timeline of art history and the Met. Yeah. That's a really like clear digital thing that gives you like the snapshot. Because mm -hmm. I think that what people are saying to me when they're like, I don't get it, is they want to know things like very simple things. Like yeah. is abstraction, wh why is art for art's sake happening? And I think that if you look at something like that, then you can see what happened before and what's after. I think the best way to understand art is to figure out what it was reacting to or mm -hmm. what was happening in time. So something like that is a oh really my God. good resource. You've really just described the, the total structure of my first version of this podcast, which was looking at art movements and figuring out what was the political, economic, socio kind of movement around that artistic response. Um, because that's that's how you learn about culture you know um absolutely because art is the problem for me that people think is that art is independent of society i know it's so weird it's really weird like you artists are just living outside this whole society like, no 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 even like the motherfucker who made the gold cube is still living and responding to the society that he's in he's just like wheeling and dealing in a space with shitloads of money like no one, no one's making stuff. Even AI can't make stuff outside of like the social discourse because that's what it's responding to. Like, oh God. 
No, I know. People stress me out. (laughs) Well, and I think that, yeah, of course, AI is certainly responding to society. And I think that if so for, you know, for somebody who's looking at trying to like just catch. So that's a good thing. I think another thing people have a hard time is like, what am I looking at? This goes back to the like, you know, the handout that your curator made Mm -hmm. that it is okay to the other really hard thing about looking at art is it's okay to be like, what is happening here? I actually have something I wrote down that I want to share with people, which is like a really big piece of wisdom, which is that like, if you're the kind of person who loves feeling smart and all that kind of stuff, like you also need to understand that you lose your status as like the smartest person in the room when you become unwilling to be wrong or to learn something new. Uh, And that's actually like a really fundamental part of kind of living with your intellect and nurturing it, right? Is that you actually, you, you have to be wrong sometimes. You know, when you see people who are like so doggedly like, no, I'm right, I know everything, like there's nothing left to learn. How could you possibly think that? You know, I don't think that I learn no, new things right? all Me the too. time. Me too. But you see it all over that app where people do not believe that there is anything else to be learned. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I'll say to people about um, about like the there's always something to be learned. There's always something new. Like there always. was that show at the National Gallery about Vermeer where they there's four <laughs> Vermeers there and I had I have done a lot of research about Vermeer over my years and um spoken a lot about Vermeer over my years and <laughs> sorry one thing that is very the voice waver like to me, <laughs> I know because they have validated the work that I hate in that series the one I that is something behind it yeah it was us. like and that's they validated it but it doesn't make it good mm-hmm. so it's Vermeer it's still a crappy painting or it's been overcleaned, or most likely both and so I think that um you know it's just a funny thing that we um you know that you know we we um always learn new things as a field and people kind of need to be you know like know that we're learning all the time Mm -hmm. but the way that people can learn about these things is to look up exhibitions that's where new content goes and I honestly think that the most knowledge that I've gotten in the last 20 years after you know taking artists I took artistry 101 in high school and then in college and then you know in graduate school you actually start again with one artistry 101 Mm -hmm. Um, and then you teach it right Um, but I um, think that the most knowledge I've ever gotten is from reading exhibition catalogs. Hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. So those are the suggestions I'd have to people about like, and I, I, but I do think that that's the reminder is that I, like you have always liked art. Mm. So I've spent a lifetime accruing information. Totally. Like you shouldn't expect that you would be here. Like you shouldn't know all this stuff. No. And like, you know, my, my photography, like the skill that I have, I started cultivating that as a kid, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. this is a lifelong Mm -hmm. interest-based thing. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of people, they need, I mean, like in our future episode, Joe Minnick says, you know, (laughs) that, because we've already recorded it, but that, you know, he it, he's doing it because he needs to do this. There's like nothing yeah. else. He has yeah. to get out. And I think that that's very true. I agree. And for me, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't have, I just really love art. I wouldn't be here. I'd be doing something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if I could be doing, I don't know what, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I'd be doing something else for like, I used to, it used to exhaust me. Like I talked to all my friends from college, a lot of them. Um, we might've all loved art, but I'm the only one who went into museums. And, you know, like my friends would say things like, like I'd be suffering and they'd be making money and going to Europe. And I'd be here like making, I don't know, eleven dollars an hour. Yeah, and wall <laughs> yeah. labels and like suffering because I really believed in it. Yeah. And you know, I've thought a lot about like the sacrifices people make to be in the arts. Mm-hmm. It's why, like, whenever the arts says to me, like, well, why don't lower middle class people go into the arts? And I'm like, well, did you, you set it kidding? up that way? 
Like, is this an ethical thing to do to put them into this situation? But also, like, the idea of wealth as an artist for most people is having time to make yeah. work every day. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that's a marker of wealth as an artist, not having money yeah. even. No, that's true. Because money, well, because I, I think that's something that's so, like, why artists get kind of like, you know, held in this space of promise, but never really mm -hmm. kind of reward because art practice immediately shows like capitalism's weakness. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it exposes mm -hmm. its belly. No, it's true. It's true. And I think, so one thing that is pretty equitable, I think is that TikTok has invited a lot of people to think about art history, mm -hmm. right? Like I have to tell you, I mean, so the museum that I, the like the museum I worked at the longest had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who came in the doors every year. Mm -hmm. And I would write labels and work on like audio tours. So I touched a good percentage of those people or worked on exhibitions. So mm -hmm. a lot of those people, you know, I as part of a like a big staff, we all impacted hundreds of thousands of people a year. Yeah. I definitely impact more people daily on this app. On this silly little app. <laughs> Right. So like, I do think that it is an interesting thing that this app has made knowledge more equitable. Mm -hmm. It's one of my but, favorite things about it. No, me too. But I also really struggle because, um, because there is no, um, people don't have like the kind of background that we have where we can say that is not true. What ends up happening is a lot of people talk about art in ways that are not true. Mm hmm. Oh my god, me and my whole drawing discourse, like yes, that's a future episode. I can't I know, wait. I know. I keep thinking I about that wait. comment of that person that I sent you, um, which yeah, one, obviously, yeah. but where it's like you can I've only use it for anatomy. And I was like, what? I've saved it. I've saved it. We're gonna talk about it in a future episode. So I think like my last thing about this art history one hundred and one is that mm. I would I hope that people from TikTok become realize that there is nothing hard about it. There's nothing to get. Nope. And no scaffolding will mean that you will get all the art. Like, mm -hmm. even if you took Art History 101, you're not going to get all of it. You're not going to understand all of it. It's just not how it works. I don't understand all of it. I, I, and I've been in here a long time. Yeah. And also, so actually, that is think, okay. about it, think about it how the TikTok algorithm works, right? So you start off in a space where you have, like, no defined, uh, like, sense of what you want to learn. You start exploring and then eventually you'll start going down these little tunnels and these little, you know, specific holes mm -hmm. of interest. And mm -hmm. that's exactly, mm -hmm. man, maybe that's why the algorithm is so addictive because it actually has tapped into that fundamental part of how we learn and explore knowledge mm -hmm. and like knowledge. Yeah. Like, of course, but God damn it. No wonder I get stuck in scrolling loops. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? Like, you just can't help. But, like, I, I think that what people, I want people to hear after they hear this episode and, like, they think. I want after my real-time realization that I just had. That's right. <laughs> well, like, that, that is actually the best way to learn and get art. Just mm -hmm. scroll down Instagram, scroll down TikTok. And I, yeah, that, I sometimes get embarrassed that I find new art most of the time on the internet. And I'm like, actually, no. I don't really care that I find most of my new artwork in that space because that's where I'm going to find what I'm most interested in. Like that's a good thing. And things that you're interested in aren't always going to be in galleries and museums, you know? Right. Right, right, right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we like to end these things with topic, you know, some media that we loved. And so mm -hmm. since we were talking about Art History 101 and how like there's not really as an adult a reason to do Art History 101 or read Art History 101 because the best way to do it is have your interests follow. Mm -hmm. I thought I would talk about a book that we just listened to that is by Louise Penny, who um, writes about a Canadian um it's their mystery novels that take place in Canada, in Quebec. And um, she writes about this detective who like, I don't know, he's like, like prescient kind of, and he's like deep thoughts. He's a deep thoughts kind of guy. And it's called A World of Curiosities. It's her newest book. Nice. And um, 
the reason I wanted to talk about it is because she brings up an artwork that is called um, the, it, so I did a video about it because I knew I was going to bring this artwork yeah. in this video, podcast. Look at me. Look at me sometimes so getting prepared. it. Um, uh, some days I am. But so she <laughs> talked about an artwork called The Past and Treasure. Mm -hmm. And The Past and Treasure is like, it could be a memento mori to William Paston, or it could be kind of like a code about the fact that they were alchemists. Um, mm. Or it could just be that they like wanted to show how rich they are. So Louise Penny brings up the book in the book. She brings up the past and treasure. And um, it's funny because it brings up one of the topics that drives me nuts about books about museums, which is that the docent knows anything. So mm. docents are like the anybody who's a museum pro docents are like the bait of our existence because they're very wealthy volunteers who think they know a lot and then they talk about it. And all they want to do is volunteer to be either help poor little children who are, you know, poor or be show, show that they're really smart. And so and they are often very, very mean to the staff who run Dosen programs. So oh. and then we have to be nice to them because they also are donors. So already like the book, I liked the book a lot. And but I thought it was really interesting how it fell into that idea that the docent knew anything. Mm. Um and so like that was funny because there's a docent who shows them the past and treasure. I don't want to give away like the story of the book, but no, um, but the other thing I thought was interesting is something that I've really been thinking a lot about since I like went down some terrible rabbit hole of White Lotus is that <laughs> I love that um, the book interprets the past and treasure totally different than art historians do. Mm. And but it needed to do that for the book to work. Right. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about it and I was thinking about it's the same as White Lotus. Like it sort of drives me crazy when they interpret it completely different than art historians do. But it proves that the art is valid beyond the scholarship. Right. That yes. it lives beyond us. And that like your your um, interpretation is as important as mine. Mm hmm. And like, you know, it's fine, which is why, like, even though I think the TikToks that I think are wrong about art history aren't the ones that like make a totally different interpretation than scholarship. You know, I was saying earlier that it drives me crazy when people do TikToks that are bad. What I dislike- you mean misinformation, right? Misinformation. Yeah. And it's usually misinformation about women or people of color and yeah. where they use it as basically propaganda for their point of view. Mm-hmm. But what I like about the book. Yeah, that's book, just dangerous content. It's dangerous content. Yeah. What I like about the book, like like the people who are always talking about the CIA basically creating an abstract art. And um, I'm actually, I, can we make an episode about that? Because I. Yeah, let's do it. I'm so curious. Let's definitely about do it. Because I've, I've had Let's a talk about it. it. Um, let's talk about that. Let's do that one as a future episode. But this book does what I think is great is when people decide that artwork, I'm going to use it for my, I'm going to see it the way I want to see it. And that's mm -hmm. why I like that book. That's my book mm -hmm. for this, my media for this week. What media do you want to end this episode with, Sophie? Um, I'm going to go left field again, as I often do. I love that. Um, I, and I'm sure this will not be new to many people who are listening, but I started playing the cozy game Bear and Breakfast on my Switch this week. Um, I know so that game. It's essentially, it's a little bit spooky, which I kind of like, but yeah, it's, you know, you don't die. There are no lives. There's no time limit. It's pretty chill. And essentially you're a bear in the middle of like the thicket in the woods and you're in this area uh, that's kind of surrounded by like little um, town, sh like town areas where you can set up like a bed and breakfast and you kind of just like build out this world and set up um you know, spaces for humans to come and stay out. You design rooms, you know, work on making things like pretty so that humans will have like a nice experience. You just like build an inventory. It's, it's really relaxed. It's really nice. It's kind of this, um, I would say like all ages kind of game. And it's just how I've been unwinding this week. It's been nice. That's very nice. Yeah, a great recommendation if you like have Animal Crossing but haven't played it in a really long time because it got boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you like Stardew Valley, it's kind of like a similar, um, not 8-bit vibe, but it's um, kind of like a, a rudimentary world building kind of graphic in some ways. It's really nice. It's fun to look at. And the soundtrack and the audio design is really great, which is super important, I think. 
That sounds fun. I don't have a switch, but it sounds fun. I do think there's something so great about um, for visual artists having moments to put your brain away. Oh my God. Right? Yeah, well, especially because like, as Joseph and I were talking about in that uh, recorded uh, interview that we did, like, especially when you work in the realm of photography, which I suppose we'll do an episode about as well and how, you know, it's not really taken seriously as an art unless you have this like massive, like foundational kind of theory basis behind it. So when you're making work as a contemporary photographer, especially in this abstract space, you are constantly on in that kind of like intense academic brain and to be able to step back and just like be a chubby bear in the middle of the woods wearing pants and a trucker's cap building a bed and breakfast man that's the life <laughs> well that's a great place to end uh do you want to read the outro yeah can you pull it up again yeah be sure to follow us at art lust podcast uh if you have topic suggestions feedback sponsorship offers or just want to say hi you can email us at artlustpodcast at gmail.com and we read the emails because we made this whole podcast because somebody emailed us yes. thanks for emailing we will uh even if we don't respond in text we will respond uh in long form content <laughs> in a whole episode <laughs> um so we really appreciate um was it cara clara who wrote in i think um, I read it like right before I fell asleep last night and my phone decided to shit a brick, but, um, you can follow Seema at Artlust on TikTok and you can follow me at Sophie Chalk Studio on Instagram. You can check out some of my portraiture work or you can follow me on TikTok at Darkroom Vomit, V-A-R-M-I-N-T and I will spell it every week. I think that's it for us. I can kind of hear the background music playing us out, telling us to go and get have a great day. Days. I'm going to the Brooklyn Museum today. So Ooh. actually seeing art IRL. For next episode. We can talk <laughs> yes, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Bye. Have a great bye. day. Bye. You too.